and welcome to Studying the Steps, where we take a deeper dive into the 12 steps. In each episode, an alcoholic woman in recovery helps us study individual steps as outlined in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. Through her personal experience and knowledge of working the program, she gives insight on how to apply and practice the spiritual principles being studied. This podcast is from the Magdalene House, a recovery community for alcoholic women. We are a nonprofit organization located in Dallas, Texas, and we provide comprehensive recovery services to alcoholic women at absolutely no cost. You can learn more and support our mission at MagdalenHouse.org. Please note, the curriculum we teach through our programs at Maggie's is from the Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous. However, we are not an Alcoholics Anonymous group, and we are not associated with AA. We're so glad you're here. Thanks for listening. Good morning, everyone. This is our Studying the Steps workshop. So every other Tuesday, uh, a staff member comes on and takes us through the steps 4 through 12. And right now, it is Lisa that gets to do that. And wow, like Lisa is somebody who, when she says that the alcoholism is the best thing that ever happened to her, you know that she's genuine and you know that she means it because like you can see it you know, and so I'm just so grateful that I get to be with you amazing women. I get to work alongside amazing women, and I'm, I'm really excited to have Lisa here and, uh, and teach us all about step 10. So take it away, Lisa. Good morning, you guys. My name is Lisa Kroenke, and I am a recovered alcoholic, and my sobriety date is June 2nd of 07. It's so weird to say that because it feels like yesterday, but then it feels like, you know, a million years ago because so much has happened in my life since then. But, you know, one of the things that Stephanie said, and I've been really thinking about this in, this morning in meditation and just talk, thinking about today and this morning, one of the things that is really, really important, I want you guys to hear from a person who's been in recovery for a bit is that my knowledge of the steps is probably the same as it was maybe my first year in sobriety. It's not about the knowledge. Like just because I've been doing it for a long time, I know page numbers. Like I can, I I pretty much know the book backwards and forwards and can recite. Don't be impressed by that. Do not be impressed with someone who can recite the page numbers and know the book because I know the book and I thought that that for a long time was what was important like you need to know how smart I am right the one thing that makes us equal all of us on this meeting all 20 of us is that we're literally walking shoulder to shoulder I wake up this morning and I am we are just the same the thing that's different And this is why I want the emphasis to be because I think steps 10, 11, and 12 are the most important for the statement I'm about to make is that what makes me a little different is the experience. My experience, not just my junkalog, because we all have that in common. We all have the horrible things and the horrible stories and the way that we treated our children and our mothers and sisters and the experience of what I want to talk about what what 
why I'm here today talking, I think, and why I get to work at Maggie's is the experience of the day that I got sober until today. That experience is what I believe is so important to share with other women. The experiences of the solution and the joy of recovery. Recovery and alcoholism is the best thing that's ever happened to me. Not because I got sober, not because of what happened all those years ago, but because of all the joyful things that have happened between the day I got sober and sitting with you here right now. That's the experience that I want to share with you guys. And that's the hope I want to portray today because that should give you interest of wanting to pursue this program for the rest of your life. Like my job is to make recovery and sobriety look so interesting and so cool. Like I want to know that I want to be a part of that, that you want to continue to pursue it because those experiences are what I can help other women that I sponsor with from, you know, dealing with a a 21 year old drug addict in recovery to dealing with the divorce at two years in recovery. All of these things, the experiences that what makes me different a little bit is the experiences. And the longer I'm in recovery, the more experiences I have and the more things I can share. I hope that makes sense because so many people focus on the drunk and what happened. And that is what makes me different, right? That's my story. My story is important. But my story only gets me to the point of me being sober. And what I really want everyone to emphasize here is not how well I know the book or the page numbers, but the experiences I've had in recovery that you want what I have. That's what we're representing to the women who are in recovery today, especially the newcomers. We're going to show them that even through mistakes, even through badass situations with our kids, (laughs) And like Stephanie is one of the biggest examples to me of a woman who can walk through one of the most tragic things that can ever happen in your life and not do it perfectly, but just put one foot in front of the other and do it. Those are the experiences, you guys, that bond us, not the drinking and the drunkologues. What bonds us is living in 10, 11, and 12 every day. And I I don't want to sound preachy at all because I don't do this perfectly. (laughs) I don't. But what I have found, one of the magic, and Paige, I think, can even attest to this too, because one of the most, I think the glue that has been the, the common denominator through my path of 13 years is 10 stepping. And I'm not talking like, pick up the phone and call my sponsor every time my toe hurts or pick up the phone and call my sponsor when someone pisses me off. I'm talking about calling my sponsor like I'm going to do today because it's something that happened last night. I woke up this morning. I'm refeeling it. I'm rethinking it. I'm replaying it. I'm making it about me. And I find that objectionable. So the big $10 question is, when do you tend step and when do you not tend step, right? And the answers are in the book. So let's go to the book. So page 84 has the 10th step. So let's go through the mechanics of the 10th step first. So we're going to talk for as long as we need to. 
and there's going to be a time for questions and answers at the end. But as we're going through the mechanics of the 10th step, and we're going through the book and what the book says first, raise your hand if you have any questions about anything that I'm talking about before we get to my experience with the 10th step, right? So let's go through the mechanics of what the book says first and kind of guide us to how I live today. All right, page 84, in the middle of the page, right after the ninth step promises, we get right into step 10 and it says, this thought brings us to step 10, which suggests that we continue to take personal inventory and continue to set right any new mistakes as we go along. We vigorously commence this way of living as we cleaned up the past. We've entered the world of the spirit and our next function is to grow in understanding and effectiveness. This is not an overnight matter. Okay, so I want to stop there. There's a couple of really important words in the first part of that sentence that we continue to take personal inventory. That means that we've been taking personal inventory. Hopefully, you've only been in this, this part of the work for a couple of three weeks. For me, I got through the work in about three, almost four weeks after I got out of rehab. My sponsor took me back through the steps. We did it quickly. I was continuing to take personal inventory. I was calling her as I was moving through steps five, six, seven, eight, and nine, right? So I'm continuing to take it. I think that's a really important word. And then we vigorously commence this way of living as we cleaned up the past. So one of the things that I thought in AA, when I was in AA for a while before I got sober, I did my worst drinking in AA actually, is I had a sponsor one time that told me that I had to finish the ninth step before I could move on to step 10. Now, I'm a blackout drunk. It's going to be quite impossible for me to finish my amends at, before I go to step 10 because I don't even know what half my amends are. I'll walk in a grocery store and go, oh, sh- there she is. I forgot about that. Right. So I'm probably going to be making amends for the rest of my life from back in the day, not just right now, but from back in the day. So the book clearly knows us as alcoholics and says that we're going to start this process of step 10 before we finish step nine, because step nine, for me at least, is an ongoing process that's going to take a lot longer than a couple of weeks, right? Very smart. I think it's intuitive. I think it's really important. And why would I want to wait to get to 10, 11, and 12, which is going to save my life and hopefully save, be the vessel to save someone else's life? Why would I want to wait? So, This is not an overnight matter. It should continue for our lifetime. So this is how I'm going to grow. Okay, that's a whole nother subject. I'll get into that. Okay, so here are the specific instructions for step 10. And I think it's really important to kind of talk about this and kind of break them apart. Because remember, we've talked so much about this, that step 10 is four through nine all rolled into one. So now I'm actually, because of these instructions, going to start practicing, right? All of the things that I've learned up to this point, I've gotten so practiced at it that I can do this thing in like 10 seconds, 15 seconds in my head, whether I'm in my car, whether I'm sitting in front of my child, who's yelling at me or what, whatever the situation is, I literally is become, because I practice it. Nothing just comes as humans. We have to practice things for Robbie before they become a habit. I had to practice self and inconsiderate habits for a long time, and they became a habit. Just undoing, this is a process of undoing as much as it is a process of learning my old habits, right? All right. 
Continue to watch for selfishness, dishonesty, resentment, and fear. Okay, so that is steps four and five. So I'm going to continue to watch for selfishness, dishonesty, resentment, and fear. I wish they would put another word in there because step six is in there but too. Because I can continue to watch for selfishness, fear, dishonesty, and resentment. I can watch for them, but unless I find them objectionable, I'm not going to go to God. I'm not going to ask God to remove it. I'm going to justify my selfishness because of the way that my husband's acting. And I'm not going to find, I'm going to, I'm going to give my freedom to him. Self-reliance in that moment. And I'm not going to observe God reliance. If I don't find what I'm doing objectionable, I find what he's doing objectionable. So I justify my selfishness, my lying. I justify my anger because of what he's doing. And that's not what the book says. It says that I have to find it objectionable. Remember, no matter what anyone else says or does, my recovery is wholly dependent upon me and internal. So what that does, though, you guys, is what that does is it ensures later on when someone does something or something happens in my life that I am not going to depend on you for me to take the action. I'm going to take the action no matter how I feel about your part, because <laughs> I hate part. It's my mistake. There's always going to be a part in someone in the way that they hurt me, whatever. But the book says clearly that I'm taking the other person out. I find these things objectionable, which is new. You know, in Bill's story, which I really wish we had time, maybe we do. But anyway, in Bill's story in the hospital on page 14, he talks about how common sense thus becomes uncommon sense. Do you know what's uncommon sense? Is for me, when I'm in self, when I'm trying to run the show, like I was last night, when I'm trying to get someone to do something that they don't want to do, I'm trying to say, well, I'm saying it in a different way. Well, if I say it this way, maybe Dave, my husband, will hear me. Maybe I'll say it a different way. So maybe he'll hear me because if he would just do what I want him to do, all would be good. <laughs> so I would justify that 13 years ago, thinking that what he's doing is he's lying, right? Today, on my knees last night, on my knees this morning, I find what I'm doing objectionable. Maybe God wants him to have that experience. I don't know. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to pray, which I've already done this morning, obviously, and I'm going to talk to my sponsor about it because it's eating me up. That is un, that's common sense. That's becomes uncommon sense. It's not common for Lisa to say, I don't know. It's uncommon. Do you see how Bill's description of the 10th step on that page 14 when he was going through the steps in the hospital was directly related to common sense thus becomes uncommon sense only because there's God consciousness within me that finds my reaction, my feelings objectionable. So I am going to, like I said, go to God. Well, we're going to talk about that. But do you see the difference in before and after? Lisa, self-reliance. Lisa, God reliance. When I do that, common sense thus becomes uncommon sense. All right. 
when these crop up, which they do, obviously it doesn't say if they crop up, they do. And this is a good thing when things crop up. I sponsor a lot of women gone through some very tragic things in their lives, very tragic. And they all hate when I say, and I have to wait for the right moment because you can't say it. You have to write, wait, you will look upon this moment in life and you will be grateful for it. I hate when people tell me that, especially when I was going through my divorce. I'm like, shut up. Like, really? My 20 year old son who can't stay away from cocaine is going to be a grateful thing. And boy, the book is right. It has become because I think I know, and that's the problem. But when these crop up, which they will, we ask God at once to remove them. Why do I ask God at once to remove them? To be happy, to be comfortable, uh, so that I can sleep at night? No. Our job description is to fit ourselves to be of maximum service to God and the people about us. I am third. <laughs> I'm not second. I'm third. Literally, I'm asking God to remove because I need to be helpful and I want to be helpful. We discuss them with someone immediately. If it's still bothering me, I always think of replaying, refueling, rethinking anything. Um, if I wake up the next morning and it's still kind of eat me alive and I'm obsessing over it, <laughs> then I'm going to talk to my sponsor, which I'm going to do that today and make amends quickly if we've harmed anyone. So there we go into step five, eight, and nine. So I'm going to make amends if I've opened my mouth and reacted to something when I didn't pause, right? I haven't gotten to step 11 yet, but pausing is a huge spiritual tool. It's probably saved my ass on any number of occasions. And then we resolutely turn our thoughts to someone we can help. Always in 10, 11, and 12. Always in 10, 11, and 12, they're going to take us back to the secret sauce of helping someone else to get out of my head. Always. Um, I can't wait to talk to you guys about step 11, but, but this step 10 um, is, it's cool because on the wall, it says, when we were wrong, we promptly admitted it. And if I just followed that, when I was wrong, promptly admitted, I can just admit it to myself. But the directions in here are very clear that there's another person involved and that person is my sponsor. This step is with another person that I'm going to start to see the things that are objectionable. They're blocking me from having a spiritual experience around any given situation because I'm awakened spiritually. And then that's going to help me to live in 11 and 12 because all three go together just like the recovery and the unity and the service are three parts of the triangle in our whole fellowship, 10, 11, and 12 are three parts, three-legged stool in my sustaining recovery. I'm already sober. Sober is an outcome. And we're going to talk about the 10-step promises in a second. But this step 10 is vital because it's a, it, it, it creates humility. And it takes my pride out of the picture because I'm going to take this action no matter what. So I really love how they outline the first 100 very clear directions around step 10. 
it's not, there's no like ambiguity around it at all. Very clear. And if I'm living in step 10, the whole goal, and I wrote this down because I loved it when someone said this, seeing my defects of character allows me to accept you as you are, and you don't have to change for me to be recovered. I actually can stay and be and grow in my recovery because of the way you act. <laughs> you are a part of my freedom. The more shitty you act, the more free I am. <laughs> That's the opposite of what I thought life was about. I thought I had to control it. And if you would act the way I wanted you to act, then we'd all be free, <laughs> right? And it's the opposite of that. And that spiritual principle has been around for thousands of years. AA just put it in the spirituality for dummies 101 so that we can follow the rules, right? We can follow some directions and get to that place. And that's one of the reasons I love this program because of the structure is so definite. It is very specific and there's no ambiguity around that. And I love that it's black and white and it's cool. Okay. Before I'm going to, I want to move on to, do you have any questions about anything that we just talked about? Lisa, I do. Hi, everybody. Hello, Michelle. Michelle. Hi. <clears throat> okay, so I'm stuck on something that you said. Mm -hmm. what, I, what I heard you say was, you know, tragic things happen and that one yes. day you'd be grateful for those tragic things. Yes. I struggle with that. I, I mean, I'm grateful of where, being sober and where I am. Um, I'm grateful that it doesn't have control over me. I'm grateful that it's that you know, grief has moved through me, but I'm not grateful for. Let me happened. tell you, let me, let me give you an example. Michelle, how many women have you sponsored? None. Okay. There you go. I don't want to cry, but there will be a woman that God will put in your life. Mm -hmm. Literally you'll be sitting in front of her. And I'm not just saying this because I'm a know-it-all. I'm saying it because it's my experience that will almost have different details but we'll almost have the same experience. And it's just the weirdest thing. It happened with me and Daphne. I, there was something on my fifth step that I would never tell anyone. It was too horrible. It was too tragic. It was too much for me to talk about. And it was shameful. And she sat in front of me and she started telling me her story. And she said, but you wouldn't understand. And when I started telling her what happened to me, the one thing she asked me, which changed my life, Will you sponsor me? If you cannot drink and stay recovered and go through that, I want what you have. Michelle, it hasn't left you and you haven't lived through it because you haven't shared it with another human to help them. It's still in you. So I don't know for sure if you will be grateful for whatever happened because I don't know what happened. But what I do know is that when you start to have the opportunity to share it with another woman, everything in your life changes. And you start to see a little bit more purpose around it. And the other thing too, is you walk out of that meeting with that woman walking on cloud nine because you're grateful for the experience because you can help another human. That's what I mean by that. I can't be grateful for an experience when it's just me and God. 
I have to have a third human being sitting in front of me before I can be grateful for any of the shit that I did to my kids. I asked God to remove the shame and the anger for a long time and it never happened. It only happened when I shared it with them. So, I, yeah, I think so. Yeah. So I can be grateful to be able to, and I am right to share experiences and, but not necessarily for what happened. Yes. That's the difference. Like, yes. okay, children yes. die tragically. I'm not grateful that the children died dra- tragically. Okay. I'm not, no. not ever going to be grateful for that. I, Never. The experience. But not. the experience and what, what that has, yes. the, the, the forward from that and not being stuck in that and not having, you yes. know, living in that space, but moving forward and being able yes. to share and, and see the light in that darkness. And God removed the difficulties. Yes, yes. He didn't, he didn't change my circumstances. God no. does not change my circumstances. It doesn't change the past. Right. God changes right. me. Yes, yes. There you go. Yeah, that, that I, yes, 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 yes. So don't confuse, like, what I did to my children will always be with me. Always. Yep. But what I can do now is share it with another woman. And yes. Even my children get it a little bit more now. They're not so angry with me mm-hmm. because I've helped other women, other moms. So, Lisa, can I say something? <laughs> Absolutely, Diana. I remember you giving your story the first time I was in the house about your kids and stuff. So I kind of already knew that. And I've just used all of this. I have a 14-year-old daughter and mm-hmm. I mean, I talk about you and just and that she goes through and that's the one thing I tell her I've always told my kids the biggest thing was you don't know what someone else is going through like regardless I don't care my alcoholism like I've just told them this their whole life you know and she's so broken about a lot of different things and I'm like the coolest thing Gracie is that you will be able to use alcoholic or not (laughs) something that you've been through to help someone and I just think oh that makes me so happy Diana I mean, I really, I mean, I'm glad I'm alcoholic because I feel like I have more avenues to help people. Exactly. Yep. Thanks. Love you. (laughs) I love you too. (laughs) The other thing too, about being grateful is if I weren't alcoholic, we all wouldn't, I wouldn't be here today. You guys, I don't know if you would or not, but, and Maggie's wouldn't be the way that it is today. I mean, you guys, come on. This is like, and I, I told Myers this one time, he's a guy in my home group. And I just said, I feel almost like sometimes we're like the chosen ones. Like we get to go out there because so many women die. We get to be recovered and not just live, but help other people live. And back to the 10th step, so much of the freedom um, is from 10, 11, and 12. You guys. 10, 11, and 12 is the relapse prevention. (laughs) So uh, before I get into the 10-step promises, I want to say this too. When I was first 10-stepping with my sponsor early on, and I changed sponsors at five years sobriety for a myriad of reasons, but um, sometimes we have to do that. I remember I didn't like what my sponsor, when my sponsor would say, you're being selfish, you're being dishonest, it pinged, it hurt. It was, it was just like my habit of selfishness and self-centered, just like my habits of having to do literally look at every, you know, these in 10, 11 and 12 and look at the habit of 
getting into this work and the mechanics of step 10, I also had to get into the habit of listening when my sponsor was telling me something that I did not want to hear. It was a habit. It was my response to when someone tells me that I'm selfish or inconsiderate or I'm judgmental is to justify, (laughs) to tell her another part of my story so that she will be on my side. (laughs) And the thing I would just tell you about my experience in the beginning with step 10 is I just, it helped me to be a better listener. It talks about the immense process. We're calm. Our manner is calm, open, and frank that will be gratified with the result. I kind of think about that sometimes in my 10th step because I'm going to be honest. I'm going to pray before I call my sponsor. I'm going to be honest in my delivery of my 10th step. And then I'm going to be open-minded to listen to what she has to say. I don't necessarily agree with her all the time, but I swear the woman is like a savant. (laughs) It's weird. It's only because she's got years of experience before me. And so I just, I really just wanted to say that, that it's, it's a, it's a, it's almost like an art getting into this rhythm of the 10th step. It takes time, but it takes practice. You just have to pick up the phone and call and let your sponsor tell you if that's, something that you should be 10 stepping about in the beginning. You will get into the habit of knowing what's objectionable, right? The other thing too, that I just, from this is from a mechanic standpoint, if I sponsor, if I'm sponsoring a woman and she calls me and she says, well, my husband, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, A, did you pray before you called me? And B, I don't want to hear about your husband. I want to hear I was selfish. I was dishonest. I was in resentment or I was in fear, selfish, dishonesty, resentment. I was in, I want to hear what, what you find objectionable about your reaction, about you. We're going to go back to page 84. It doesn't say when Dave is selfish, I call my sponsor. It says when I am. So if I'm mentioning someone else that causes my selfishness, my sponsor is not going to listen to me on the phone and I don't listen to it either. Go back and talk to God and then call me when you see what's objectionable in you, not them. All right. So let's look at the 10 step. When you say, when, when you say, when you see what's objectionable with you, is that where you get an uneasy feeling and it just, the thought just, well, it's that, that, okay. Okay. That's Mm -hmm. okay. Yep. Oh yeah. has to be resolved. Yes. You guys, it's like that uneasy feeling when you see a drink, you know, sitting there and you're like, should I drink it or not? Should I not drink it? Should I, not? I told myself I wasn't going to drink today. I'm not going to do that. I'm like, you see the obsession over that drink. Mm-hmm. It's the same concept, different details. I'm obsessing over blank hit him. I'm obsessing over my kids and their reaction to something. I'm obsessing over something that shouldn't have happened. I'm obsessing over politics. I'm obsessing over whatever blank. I'm not, if I'm in my head, I cannot fit myself to have maximum service to my children, to the God, to people about me. If I'm obsessing over the way that someone acted, do you see it? I'm 10 stepping because I want that to be removed so that I can be free to help other people. Sometimes if something really bad happens to someone, this is my little thing, but um, like really bad, like a, like an asshole boyfriend or something like that. 
I'm like, okay, you know what? I'll give you 24 hours. Just be pissed off for 24 hours. Punch walls, yell at people. I don't care what you do, but you got 24 hours. And tomorrow we're going to talk and we're going to start seeing your mistakes and we're going to quit talking about him or her or whatever. But sometimes I do that too. (laughs) Because sometimes it feels good to be mad for 24 hours and be unrecovered, (laughs) you know? But anyway, that's just a kind of funny thing. But anything else? Let's look at the 10-step promises. Um, and we've ceased fighting anything or anyone, even alcohol. These are my favorite in the whole world. For by this time, sanity will have returned. We will be seldom interested in liquor. And if tempted, we will recoil from it as from a hot flame. We react sanely and normally. And we will find that this has happened automatically. We will see that our new attitude towards liquor has been given us without any thought or effort on our part. It just comes. It just comes. That is the miracle of it. We are not fighting it, neither are we avoiding temptation. We feel as though we've been placed in position of neutrality, safe and protected. We have not even sworn off. I always like to stop there and talk about, I didn't quit this time. I didn't quit this time. And it's the only time that it worked. 13 years ago, I didn't say I was never going to drink again. I did that for a decade. (laughs) It didn't work. The problem has been removed. What I did say was I was going to give this program a chance and I didn't quit. I didn't quit drinking this time. I didn't swear it off. Instead, the problem has been removed. It does not exist for us. We're neither cocky nor we afraid. That is our experience so long as we keep in fit spiritual condition. Keeping in fit spiritual condition is very clearly outlined on page, at the bottom of page 14, top of page 15. Page 13 is where Bill went through his story, not 14. Sorry, I was mistaken about that earlier. But at the bottom of page 14 and 15, it says that for if an alcoholic failed to perfect and enlarge his spiritual life through work and self-sacrifice for others, he cannot survive the certain trials and low spots ahead. So I'm going to keep in fit spiritual condition by going out and enlarging my spiritual life through work and self-sacrifice for others. And then it talks about resting on our laurels. Look, I die every night and I'm reborn every morning and I don't get to not 10 step today because I 10 step two days ago. I don't get to, to rest on my here it says, it's easy to let on a spiritual program of action and rest on our laurels. We are headed for trouble if we do, for alcohol is a subtle foe. We are not cured of alcoholism because of my body. Um, what we have is a daily reprieve contingent upon the maintenance of our spiritual condition. Maintaining a garden is weeding, constantly turning over the dirt. Maintaining doesn't just maintain the garden. It allows seeds to grow. It allows new soil for beautiful new seeds to grow. It's about growth, effectiveness, and understanding. And not just drinking one day at a time, like I'm going to do this one day at a time. The daily reprieve I have is contingent upon helping others. It's not contingent upon trying to prevent me from drinking or staying away from triggers, don't say trigger to me, 
because I literally, you will trigger me to strangle your neck <laughs> because this is not about the, the, the spiritual condition is growing based on mistakes, pain, beautiful things that happen to us. It's a beautiful collaborative or combination of many different things. And it's not about not drinking. Look, at this point in this program, alcohol should not be discussed. I wish alcohol, the word alcohol, were taken out of the word alcoholism because alcoholism is a mental illness. Alcohol is our solution, not our problem. So we're not talking about alcohol anymore. And I'm not cocky about it. Like I'm allergic to nuts, deathly allergic to nuts, but you're not going to hear me the next morning after a party going, oh my God, there were nuts at this party. And I walked right by the nuts and I didn't eat them. <laughs> I hear, I, I went to this party and there was alcohol there. I didn't drink. That's you, you didn't do that. God did that. God did that. I didn't do it. That's me being cocky and self-reliant. Um, or afraid. Oh, I can't go there because there's alcohol. Why are we focused on alcohol? You need to look at your spiritual condition. You are not fit. <laughs> and you need to double down on spiritual principles or spiritual work with your sponsor, right? So I love it when they say that. The other beautiful thing, these promises are, but the one thing I'll leave you in before we get to the Q&A is my sponsor has said, that, and I love this on a 10th step, do you value your ego or you, do you value your relationship? And it could be your relationship with God. It could be a relationship with another human being. If I'm going to truly live vertically for the rest of my life and not horizontally based on people, then I made a promise to God that I would do this for the rest of my life, whether I wanted to or not. I drank when I didn't want to. I'm going to do this when I don't want to. It's not a feelings program. It's an action program. And the 10th step is one of the best examples, if not the best example, because 11 and 12, I'll explain. I've taken the action no matter how you feel. Half the time, I don't want a 10 step. But I do it because of you, women here. I do it for my children. I do it for everyone but me. Me not 10 stepping is about me. That's all I have. You guys have any questions for me? I have a question. Yes, um, Steph. Whenever you sponsor women and they get to step 10, do you have like an expectation on how often they should be 10 stepping? Cause I, I know it says when, but mm -hmm. it also says we watch. And I know that I've fallen into the not watching part of it. So I'm just wondering for the ladies here, do you put an expectation on your sponsees on how much they should 10 step? In the beginning, I want them, let's you know talk every day for a while. But the one thing that I feel strongly about, and I've changed, like when I was first sponsor, I was a very, I was kind of a, I don't want to say that word, but I was very different than I am now. The expectation should be that you want your recovery more than anybody else. If I'm fighting someone to 10 step with me, I'm not going to, I'm not going to do it anymore. I'm not going to, most of the women who, who don't, who quit 
using me as a sponsor, they do it on their own. I rarely fire anyone over. I used to do a long time ago. I don't do that anymore because you're how free do you want to be? If you don't want to 10 step, you're the one who's losing out. You're also preventing me from having experience with God, but I'm not going to needle you or prop, you know, prod and push you to 10 step because you know what the great persuader is alcohol alcohol and if you want to go back to that black place and all 10 stepping that black shit that I had in my head that I walked around with for a decade makes 10 stepping look like child's play I never want to go back to that black place and had nothing to do with alcohol it had to do with being dead inside so if I'm having to push someone to 10 step, I really probably need to push them to go drink because that's the great persuader. And I hate to say that, but I tell you what, you know, the best thing they'll get you to 10 step is a good old fashioned relapse <laughs> for me. anyway. Thank you. <laughs> You're welcome. Probably not what you guys wanted to hear, but no, I, I just, my job to... is not to push and prod you to make you a good sponsee. Oh my God. <laughs> Anybody else have a question? Okay, I do have a question then. So okay. something that has repeatedly come up in Next Step over the last year, so cool that I can say that, uh, is women say that they shouldn't be feeling a certain way because of where they are in the steps or how long they've been sober or they know what their sponsor is gonna say, what would you say to them? Okay. I was gonna wait and say that the first part until uh, next week with step 11, but I'll say it now. You are not in charge of how spiritually fit you feel. You are in charge, I am in charge of 10, 11, and 12. Maybe God wants you to feel spiritually disconnected today. That's a feelings thing. I'm in the action program of 10, 11, and 12. I get so, I don't feel connected during the pandemic. Well, I'm sorry. Are you doing 10? How many women have you helped today? How many times have you gotten on your knees and talked to God? Like literally 10, 11, and 12. Thank God I'm not in charge because someday I could feel really spiritually connected and someday I couldn't. Someday I won't. And maybe it's because I didn't eat a hamburger today. I mean, maybe it's because I have an empty stomach. I mean, I, you know, who knows? Any day I'm such a, I'm a woman. I'm going to feel differently. 10, 11, and 12. Don't worry about how spiritually connected you feel. The second thing is, um, I know what my sponsor is going to say. Well, isn't that arrogant? Let's go back to step two. Let's go back to step two. I think I know. And that's a spiritual principle that's really, 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 really important. That's one of the ways that step two plays into my life every day. I think I know what living on a spiritual basis is going to look like, so I don't want to do it. I think I know what my sponsor is going to say. So I, it's not about what your sponsor says. Remember, it's the action. Your sponsor is not your therapist. <laughs> your sponsor is not your therapist. It's not what she says. It's what you do. So many women get into spot, they get, they get attached to their sponsor. Their spot, it's the sponsor's problem. It's not the, your, it's not because we get so attached. Like we have to know what they say. I can't breathe without my sponsor. That's not the point. My spot is not sponsor reliance. It's God reliance. 
So this is literally about just taking the action and sponsors are not gods. And we start putting people on a service plane, they become reliant upon our advice. And that's problematic. And also too, I don't want my sponsor to know because I don't, I didn't do anything. I didn't do something right. There's no right or wrong. You're supposed to screw up. You're supposed to make mistakes. It's called self-reliance or God-reliance. It's not right or wrong. Self-reliance or God-reliance. That's a choice I can make every day. So I probably know what my sponsor is going to say, but that's not the point. I'm missing the point if I'm relying upon what my sponsor is going to direction she's going to give me. Does that make sense? Yeah, thank you. Welcome. Um, I have a question. Hello, Miss Connie. Hi, Lisa. I am um, starting um, the Next Step program. I've been participating for 10, about 10 days now. How is Step 10 different, or is it different, from taking our nightly inventory that, you know, when we retire, nightly inventory? How are those two things different, or are they not different? That's my first question. And my second question is, um, if you're starting starting fresh and anew in the program um, and participating in Next Step, should we be doing a step 10 even if we're on step, a new step four um, or not? Okay, question. first question, um, not, that's a great question. The nightly inventories are step 11. It barely clearly says that we are to do this all day, step 10. All day, I'm talking to God. Now I'm doing step 11 all day too, because I will, my, that will be done, not mine. But I'm literally, step 10 is seeing that my reaction, my feelings, my and finding them objectionable. I'm doing this all day. Step 11 is the catch-all, like the catch-all at night when I'm on my knees. Is there something that I could have done? And there's 10 questions that they, that we talk about on page 87 that we literally um, 86 and 87 that we talk about when we retire at night. So that my nightly, and I get nightlies from a lot of women, but that's step 11. I, I, that's like, what could I have done differently? Step 10 is humility. I'm humbling myself, finding these things objectionable. I'm using four, three, nine all, and I'm doing that all throughout the day because I'm looking at character defects. I'm not looking at a relationship with God. That's step 11. Okay. So that nightly inventory is very confusing. I'm so glad you asked that. People are like, I met at Starbucks and 10 step with my sponsor today. I'm like, dang it, 10 step. I saved it all up. We meet once a week. I'm like, not according to the book, not Lisa's opinion, the book, right? Because it says we immediately. And then as far as 10 stepping right now, no matter what step you're on, that's a question for your sponsor. I want you to talk to your sponsor about that. And that would be something that you guys decide, whatever she feels like, however she teaches or out of the book or how she was raised, you know? So that's something that you would, I want you to talk to your sponsor about that. I don't want to give you direction on that. Thank you. You're welcome. Glad you asked that, Connie. It's, uh, that's uh, a great question. Yeah. Anyone else? Uh, so if you start, um, maybe getting spiritually sick and not doing your 10th step as maintenance every single day as you're supposed mm -hmm. to and mm -hmm. things start building up when do you know is a good time to revert back and be like okay now you need to do a fourth step and an eighth step over this new stuff 
That is a great question, Ariel. Great question. Because I've had to do several fourth and fifth steps in my recovery because I've done just that. When I'm, when I, what Cindy, when I'm 10 stepping about the same thing every day, right? Not just even when I just haven't 10 stepped in a while, but when I'm 10 stepping over the same things, the same, it's like the same thing, same patterns of behavior of mine. Then I will do, she'll have me do a fourth step, uh, fourth step in fourth and fifth step inventory. It's not that I'm backed up. It's, it's not about me 10 stepping while I have to do the fourth and fifth. It's about my obsession with something. So sometimes I will not 10 step um, because I'm too embarrassed and I'm in self-reliance, but it's not about my frequency of 10 stepping that gets me to do a fourth and fifth. It is my obsession that I am blocked and I can't see it. So don't do a fourth and fifth step because of infrequency of 10 steps. It's literally got to be about the patterns of behavior and the character defects that are blocking you. We can't see it. I'm still obsessing over it. I'm still rethinking, refilling, replaying. It's the same 10 step. I, in my head, 10 step too, for a while. I've had to do them for my mom a couple of times. I've had to do it when I was going through my divorce with Dave. I had to do it after my divorce with Dave. I had to do it when I got back together with Dave. Poor Dave has been the subject of about five <laughs> fourth and fifth steps. And he's right here. I would tell him to, I mean, it's no secret, <laughs> but I hope that helps Ariel, but uh, just yes, be careful. Good. Okay. Yeah. My sponsor will sometimes tell me like, you're still making it about them. You need to go write the inventory. Like that's, yeah. so it kind that's of, that's a great that thing. Yeah. That's great stuff. All right. Anything else? I feel like this has been really great. Some good questions were asked. It's been really mm -hmm. good. Yeah. All right. Well, it looks like we ended just on time too. I know Lisa has the 10 o'clock today. So if you guys are looking for a meeting to go to, you can hop on over. So. <laughs> All right. Well, everyone have a great day. Lisa, thank you so much. This was wonderful. No, thank you, Steph. Thank you for asking me. This podcast is from the Magdalene House, a recovery community for alcoholic women. We are a nonprofit organization located in Dallas, Texas, and we provide comprehensive recovery services to alcoholic women at absolutely no cost. You can learn more and support our mission at magdalenhouse.org.